again, that's something I want to kind of, you know, push out there to people. Writing a book may scare you. Uh, jumping into something like that may be a two of a daunting task. But the truth of the matter is, is that you don't have to be an amazing writer to be able to write a best-selling book. You just need to know what the market wants, provide it, and be able to market it. Let's go! Hello and welcome to the brand new You Show, the podcast dedicated to helping you build your brand. We meet here each week to learn how building your brand can help you grow your influence, amplify your online reputation, and ultimately impact your career. I'm your host, Ryan Roten, and today's guest is an online marketing ninja. Dave Chesson is the founder of Kindlepreneur. At Kindlepreneur, Dave's mission is to help authors and aspiring authors sell more books and make more money. When he's not researching algorithms or digging into Amazon's ranking system, Dave is a husband and father who is not afraid to play dress-up or chase the boogeyman out of the closet. Dave is the author of the book, Amazon Kindle Rankings, How to Rank Your Kindle Book Number One in Amazon, which is what we will be spending most of our time talking about today. Dave, it is my pleasure to welcome you to the brand new You Show. Hey, thank you, Ryan. It's a real honor to be here. I'm very excited to talk to you today. Writing a book has been on my list of to-do things uh, for a very long time, and I know there's a lot of listeners who also feel the same way. But before we get going here, there is one question that I always ask every one of my guests, which is, if you could vacation in only one place for the rest of your vacation days, where would you go? I'd probably go to the Maldives. That is one wonderful place, um, and I've been fortunate to be able to go there multiple times, but I'm just somebody who could always live you know, right next to the water, and that'd be wonderful. Well, when you're there, you will probably see previous guest of the show, Hannah Morgan, who also said she would love to go to the Maldives. Nice. <laughs> Uh, so my first question, Dave, as I was doing my research on you, is I have to ask this. How does one person go from being a nuclear engineer to an online marketing ninja? <laughs> That's a great question. You know, really, it was it stemmed back for kind of necessity. Being a, you know, being active duty, the military kind of kept sending me away from my family. And I started to really analyze my life and look back at it and, you know, try to define exactly what is success for me. And it turns out that the definition of success was not to become some admiral and not to be always deployed away from my family. It was something to be home with my family, you know, to be there for my kids. So that's when I really started to look at exactly what I could do to, you know, create a job or a situation that allowed me to be home with my kids. And doing that and doing a lot of research, I found out about this online marketing and all of a sudden it just started clicking. There were a lot of things that I really enjoyed. And those who read my stuff know that there is definitely some nerdy tech stuff in there. I'm very in the weeds and I like to go step-by-step -step process. That's probably the nuclear engineer in me. Um, but I'll say it that regardless of what you think or what, you know, if you're out there and you're thinking, no, oh, there's no way that this thing's for me, you'd be surprised what you'll find, especially when you take your skills and apply it to market that's out there. Yeah, I love, I love the first part of your answer. You, you define what success means for you. And I think so many times throughout our careers, a lot of us define success by how others define it for us. And to take the step and have the foresight that you need to define that for yourself that's something that you don't find very often. And I think a lot of people are scared to do on their own. Absolutely. And I, I give my wife probably all of the credit for that. She's just been absolutely wonderful, supportive, and really kind of helped me to focus and think about these things. And uh, I'm just blessed to have her. So now you, you also mentioned that you're, you've been in the military or you're active duty in the military now. How does one manage to build a side business while you know being in a demanding role like being in the military? 
Yeah, it was definitely not an overnight thing, that's for sure. And I would never <laughs> consider any of this an overnight success. I started about three and a half years ago, and really what it became was one of these things where I started to change my life to be able to fit it in. What that means is I didn't move my kids out or my wife out of, out of the picture. What I started to do was look at the things that I was doing during the day and what I needed to do and what I didn't need to do. For example, I used to be a big movie watcher. I used to watch shows all the time. Just by cutting out that right there, I was adding two hours of my life every day. The other thing, too, was is that I started getting up earlier. I started you know, eating right and thinking about you know, my schedule a little bit more. By getting up early, the beautiful thing about that is there's no distractions. There's nobody calling me or texting me on you know, Facebook or anything like that. And so I was able to become more efficient and effective with the time that I had. And just applying that over three and a half years is what's allowed me to build a side business that is, is going to be my only business. kind of gave us a little bit of insight there into how you did it. You started to become very intentional on the choices that you were making and you became very focused in what you were trying to build on the side. So my first question then becomes, why Kindle? Actually, I didn't start there. Uh, what I started with was niche websites. So okay. I used to use this tactic of going to Google and finding out what people were typing into Google and that, there were, that they weren't getting the answers they needed. You know, it'd be like pain points, like how to cure chronic back disease or something like that. And, you know, Google tells you exactly how many people type that in, that exact phrase. So I would build these niche websites, rank them number one in, in Google, and bring on this continuous traffic. But what happened for me, though, was that I would build these websites, I put in all this work to really make something nice, and I was only making like $100 a month. You know, of course, it was every month, so that's great, but that was a lot of work just to get $100 a month. So... I started thinking about it. I was like, well, the thing is, I need to create my own product. I mean, that's kind of how you make more money is not just getting advertisement pay from Google or associate links or stuff like that, um, but your own product. And when I realized I had just built a whole website that was centered on a particular pain point of people, why not just package that in a book and put it on Amazon? And that's when I shifted focus and I looked at Amazon and I realized that Amazon is actually a search engine just like Google, where people go in there, they type what they're looking for, and they find, you know, the product. And in case of books, most of the time it's pain points, you know, how to do this, um, how to become more effective and efficient, you know. When I was able to apply my SEO background into Amazon, I was able to create, you know, so many products that just sit at the top of Amazon and bring in continuous traffic. That's awesome that you were able to leverage all of your previous experiences and then recognize that maybe you needed to pivot into something else. So can you tell me, what is a Kindlepreneur in your mind? Well, you know, it's a combination of Kindle and Entrepreneur. And the way I see it is that you know, my website is devoted to advanced book marketing tactics. Um, and I, I chose advanced book marketing tactics because the people who will take my tactics and will use them are people who are truly invested into it. They're not looking for the quick, you know, easy cut. Well, oh, I just want to pay like a thousand dollars and somebody will do it for me. Like, no, no, no. This is about teaching you how to do it. You're a real entrepreneur. You got to roll up your sleeves and you got to get right in there. Um, so I wanted to set the standard that, you know, this is not the easy route. This is the what I think is the right route, you know, getting ingrained and learning it and doing it. Um, so for me, I wanted to set the standard 
you know, with those two words. And I think they're very powerful words and combining them. It sounds pretty good. Yeah, I like it. It's, it's really clever. Right. And it just kind of sticks in your mind too. After you hear it any, any time now I look at my Kindle book, I, I actually think Kindlepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny is I kind of, when I first started off, uh, with Kindlepreneur, I did great with the branding of Kindlepreneur, but I failed to really brand Dave Chesson. There are a lot of things that I made mistakes on uh, with that. But the reason why I knew I'd kind of failed in that respect was I kept having people on Facebook recommend my own articles to me. I was like, ah, <laughs> something's wrong here. <laughs> so Dave, with the, with the moniker of Kindlepreneur, I have to assume, are you an author yourself then? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Let me put out there though, I did not start an author. Um, when I was in high school, my high school teacher looked at me and she's like, you're going into physics, right? And I was like, yes, ma'am. She's like, all right, that's probably for the better, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and my low grades in English were, were just absolutely atrocious. So, you know, I, I tell people all the time, look, I'm not a great writer, but I am a best-selling writer. And that comes from the marketing aspect. Now, my books are not, you know, crappy. They're not things that were just thrown together. I really put a lot of time and effort into them. Um, but you know, I'm not ever going to become some famous writer known for his his pro of the words. And I'm probably even butchering the grammar of that right now, but whatever. <laughs> um, but I can collect information and make it chewable. And that's my skill. And again, that's something I want to kind of, you know, push out there to people. Writing a book may scare you. Uh, jumping into something like that may be a two of a daunting task. But the truth of the matter is, is that you don't have to be an amazing writer to be able to write a best-selling book. You just need to know what the market wants, provide it, and be able to market it. You know, you hear this all the time that each of us, everybody has a book somewhere inside of us. If that's true, let's assume that's true. Why would people even want to write a book in the first place? Now, everybody's got a different reason for that. In some cases, you know, somebody's, you know, it's an artistic thing. Uh, somebody jumps into it because they do, they have the book, you know, they have ideas, they're creative and they want to display it. Some people have a story that they think will benefit others. Some people are looking for money. One of the things that I love though is the distinction of being able to write a successful book. One of the things that really blows my mind is, you know, on Kindlepreneur, there are uh, every month 90,000 uh, articles are read every month. Like it's, it's kind of scary when I think about that, you know, especially since, you know, like I said, my English teacher was like, you're done for <laughs> yeah. this language. And I was like, yes, man, that's true. <laughs> and yet here I am putting that out there. And that's only one website. That's not even including the books. It's not including other articles. So that reach, that, you know, accessibility, uh, the notoriety that comes from publishing a successful book that people buy every day. Um, that can really help you and your brand grow. Do you have any specific examples you can share with us of maybe when you've helped or coached someone who uh, maybe was in, say, an odd profession? Well, not odd, but you know, not not uh, not a profession where you would think that a book would help them because they already have a certain level of expertise or credibility. Say, I don't know, like an attorney. Do you have any kind of examples of that? Actually, I have a great example of an attorney. Let's look at attorneys in general, right? They've got a they've got a lot of competition. They're they're one upping each other in ads. They're trying to rank higher in Google. If you type in best attorney in Seattle, um, you know, you rank number one and that that's, that's a lot of money. But the fact of the matter is, is that even if you rank, you might get that cold call. You might get that person that comes in, you know, and asks you questions, but you need to dazzle them. Um, if your rates are $500 an hour, you need to prove why you are more expensive than the other person, right? So there's all these distinctions. 
for attorneys, you know, they want to use the distinction of, well, I went to this college, you know, and most of them, it's like, I don't know what that means, unless it's like Harvard or Yale, you know, or Princeton. But how do you make yourself stand out? And in this case, um, an attorney who I, I haven't gotten, especially since he's a lawyer, I haven't got his permission to use his name, so I won't. Um, <laughs> Probably a wise idea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but anyways, he'd kind of contacted about, you know, uh, just thinking about writing and talking. I was like, well, why don't you write about, you know, lawyer stuff? And he goes, well, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, what would that do for me? And I said, first off, what pain point do your clients have? And, you know, his first thing was, well, usually it's how to get out of a ticket, you know, or how to get out of trouble. Mm. And I was like, okay, what else? And it's like, well, how to start with, you know, um, this whole process. A lot of people are new to having to go to court. So what does it all mean? And I was like, great. And I'm sure you've got some information on that already, right? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, well, have you published it? Mm. He's like, well, uh, we printed it. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, have you published it? So in this case, we were able to formulate a book that in, in his case, he actually had most of the information already written and it was specific to his target market. And when he published it, it became a bestseller in its category. And now when he meets with new clients that come in, he's able to say, yeah, actually, I'm a best-selling author on legal works, you know, um, or however he decides to present it. And that is pretty mind-blowing to a customer. I mean, uh, these guys all have, they pass their law degree, mm. they, they pass the bar exam, but this guy's a bestseller. Yeah. That's pretty cool, and that sticks out. You're going to remember that guy. And on top of that, too, he actually bought a whole bunch of uh, um physical copies of his book and he hands them out as kind of a you come in for a consultation here take this book hmm. you know as a free gift and he says that that one thing right there is just a major converter for him that's a that's a pretty cool way to distinguish yourself right right up front with potential new clients exactly for sure and on top of that too you know people all over now granted this this lawyer is only a part of one state right but he's writing on a, on topics that people are actively pursuing in Amazon if you think about it if you got served and you got to go to court and you're being sued for something you're going to turn to the internet to try to find out uh what do I do I've never been in this situation and now when they go to Amazon cuz they just want to find a book about you know like getting sued for dummies or something like that right mm -hmm. um and they see his He's now getting national coverage. Now, that might not work for his business because somebody in Florida, and maybe he's located in a different state, you know, he can't represent somebody in Florida. But in his case, though, he has contact information inside of his book that they can reach out and ask questions. And that allows him to refer them to a colleague mm. in Florida, which gives him a referral fee, which also, you know, uh, lets that guy know in Florida, hey, you're my guy. So if you got somebody coming up to my state, I'm your guy. Right. Um, and so that's just increased his reach, you know, exponentially. Yeah. One of the things I really love about that story is that he was he is an expert on particular subjects or topics. He has ideas, but he wasn't, but he's so close to it that he doesn't realize that his expertise can be packaged up into a book and handed to people who need the knowledge that he has. And one of the things that I find interesting about the people who come talk to me is they have, 
they kind of have the opposite. I mean, they suffer from that as well, the expertise sim- syndrome, if you will. But they also just have lots and lots of ideas, different things they'd love to write a book about. Is there a way that that those people who have ideas, they can go somewhere online and type in what their ideas are and find out if those are even subjects or topics that people are looking for? Yeah, absolutely. Um, when I first started, right, we talked about building a niche website. And my goal was to find out what people were typing into Google. Google actually gives you this information. Uh, they, you, there's a Google Keyword Planner is a free tool that you can use. You type in particular words you know, that you're thinking about, and Google will give you better suggestions, uh, as well as telling you how many people per month type that in. So if you're in this you know, kind of niche career, niche area, um, you know, say, say you're in plumbing, um, and you want to know if there are particular things people are typing into Google, you know, you can start searching for these ideas, these book ideas. And since you are a professional in that, you can start to put together a great book that addresses a pain point for a certain amount of market out there in the U.S. Now, what if so you you mentioned earlier that if you start to type stuff in into Google, you know, it'll auto populate with words and things that people are searching for. What what if your idea you type in like the first word hit space and then you hit the first the letter of the next word and nothing comes up? Does that mean that it's a bad idea? Well, I would say that at that point um and this is a great question to kind of rephrase where I have a lot of people who come up to me and say, "I've got this book idea." You know, it, it's deep in my heart, and I know that there are people out there that um, that could really benefit from it. I'm like, great, so let's check it out. And I'm like, okay, nobody's searching for that on the internet. Now, that doesn't mean that that book isn't um, going to be huge, right? That doesn't mean that it's going to be uh, successful or unsuccessful. However, though, if people aren't actively searching for it on the internet, then that means that if you decide to still write that, You've got to be an excellent marketer to not only go and find that market wherever it exists, you have to then rope it in and bring it to your book. And that is a lot of work. So I tell new book marketers slash, you know, writers out there, you know, as you're starting out, it it might be a little more beneficial to have a pre-existing market that's already hungry for your subject out there before you start writing. Hmm. Interesting. So let's assume then that somebody has gone through the trouble. They know that uh, their idea is quote unquote marketable. People are searching for it. Would you recommend, when would you recommend that they start actually marketing their book after they've written it or before the, or, or during the process of writing? it? I think the day you decide you're going to start writing it is the day you need to start marketing it. It does two things for you. One, it helps you learn about your target market. This is very important because you need to kind of know where they are, where they're hanging out, what they're doing, what words they're using. We're going to get to that last part uh, in a second. But knowing where they are, you can start to build relationship and um, that makes your book launch that much easier. The second thing, like I kind of mentioned before, is it helps you learn their language, okay? Uh, Here's a great... Uh, story, you know, we call it a resume, right? Yeah. But it turns out there's a significant amount of people in the world that type in curriculum vitae and CV. Yes. So when you only use the word resume, you're excluding the people that naturally call it a curriculum vitae. Now, Mm. I've never actually run across somebody who does, but Google tells me there's a lot of people that type that in. Right. Um, 
So, you know, you're going to start to learn the way they call it. You know, if you're writing a book on back pain, what does somebody say? Do they say, well, the acute vertebrae of the... Th-? No, they're not going to say that. I don't even know what that is. Um, but they are going to say, uh, you know, sharp lower back pains when I bend over. Uh, you know, now is that a great book title? Of course not. But now you start to understand that they call it these things. They, they describe their pain point you know, or whatever it is they want to solve in this particular way. And learning your target market's language helps you to convert as well as connect. Should you market your book like everywhere, all the different social media platforms everywhere? Or would it be better, do you think, to mark, to use just like, say, one or two sources? Oh, I'm, I'm a firm believer that if somebody tries to market everywhere, they get nothing done. If you're trying to go in all these different crazy platforms and crazy tra- tactics and ideas, all you're going to do is spin your wheels and you're going to get nowhere and you're going to get really frustrated. I tell people that the people who are super successful in marketing have chosen a particular skill, mastered it, focused on it, and driven it home. Okay, Dave, let's, let's uh, start to switch gears here just a little bit. I want to start to dive into your book, which again is called Amazon Kindle Rankings, How to Rank Your Kindle Book Number One in Amazon. And we've alluded to this a little bit when we talked about typing words into search bars, but I want to go back and, uh, you know, kind of to the beginning here and, and, and start real basic. And so for those listening who may not understand, and I think we've said this word a couple of times, but I want to make sure we define it for them. What is a keyword? So a keyword is the word that somebody types into a search box. Um, it could be a phrase. It could be just one word. It could be a really long uh, phrase. But when you go to Amazon or when you go to Google and you start to type something in, that's what we call a keyword. Okay. And then in your book, you also talk about this thing called a long tail keyword. What exactly is a long tail keyword? Long tail keywords are... L- Phrases with a couple of words in them, right? So, you know, if you're doing research and you type in cat, okay, there are going to be a lot of people who type in cat into to Google or Amazon. However, though, what you need to find is a keyword that there's enough people typing it in, but there isn't so much competition that you can't beat it out. Okay. Now, where would you use these keywords? So let's assume hey, we're, we've, we've uh, decided on our idea. We've gone ahead. We've started to write the book. We're actively marketing it. Now, I assume we get to create um, an author page in Amazon in all these different places where we're talking about our book, where, how do we best use those keywords that we're identifying? So with keywords, the idea is, is that you want to know that on Amazon, people are typing that in, that they're searching for it, and that you can beat out the competition, right? So the idea is, you have to remember that Amazon is an algorithm. It's a, it's a math equation, and it's actually got its own name called A9. And that equation is just trying to figure out what books should show up when somebody types in a particular keyword. Then the second thing it likes to do is it likes to figure out, well, which one should rank at the top and which one should rank at the bottom. So for this to happen, you need to convince the math equation, the algorithm, that your book is about that particular keyword. And the way to do that is having that particular keyword in your title or subtitle, having it in your book description, uh, people are using that keyword in reviews, which helps if the keyword is in your title, because usually people put the title in the review. Um, there's also, when you go to publish your book, Amazon will actually ask you for seven keywords. And you put them in there, you type them in there, and that kind of gives Amazon the initial, hey, 
hey, guy, my book should show up for this. Um, and so that helps the math equation say, okay, well, if somebody types this in, your book should show up. But the next part to this is what makes your book show up at the top over somebody else's. And there are a lot of things to this, but one of the most important ones is what I call the search to click to buy ratio. Okay. And what this is, is that if somebody types in your target keyword into Amazon and they scroll down and they find your book and they click it and then they buy it, that is a direct signal to Amazon that people, you know, who are typing this keyword in are actually searching for your book. Now, over time, if you have a better search to click to buy ratio over the other books, you will naturally set up at the top. And why does this happen? Because Amazon wants to make more money. And if you have a better conversion rate, all right, for that particular search, then they know that your book is making more of their customers happier and making them buy more books, which makes Amazon more money. So the the algorithm always works to make sure that customers are happy and more sales are made. So I'm going to I'm going to dive into, uh, you know, at a high level, obviously, the algorithm. I know we could probably go pretty detailed uh, with your knowledge. But one of the things that you start to talk about in, say, I'll call it chapter one of your book, is the number of verified reviews. And before I ask you what is a verified review, I first want to know how important is a review when it comes to your book's ranking in Amazon? Reviews are very important. They're both directly important and also kind of indirectly important. The direct portion of this is that a review is Amazon's indication of whether or not the customer actually liked the product. Let's face it, if Amazon is selling this product and it's selling like hotcakes, that could just be a great marketer. But a review is the ability for people to say, okay, this was terrible. And Amazon doesn't want to sell products that are looked at as terrible. A verified review compared to what a review is, is anybody can leave a review. Even if you haven't bought it, you can jump on there and leave a review. But a verified review is that you bought it on Amazon using your account, and then you went back using the same account and left the review. Verified reviews are way more important than unverified reviews. As a matter of fact, I, I don't know for sure, but I tend to believe that a unverified review doesn't affect your rankings, but verified do. Obviously, I'm a podcaster, and I definitely understand the value and the importance of having reviews for your show. And I assume that you know you've just told us that translates over into Amazon's algorithm as well. So I, we know they're important, but let's be honest, they can be difficult to get. How how do you get people to take the action to take that extra step and give you that review? Well, one quick tactic, and I, I've got a whole bunch of articles that are kind of on this because there's so many different things you can do. Um, but one of my favorites is your personalization at the end of your book. So in this case, somebody read your book. Now, at this point, they probably don't remember your name. They might have seen it when they bought the book, but it's, you know, it's been a couple hours of them reading and they're not reminded it's you. They're not reminded that you're even a person, okay? Um, mm. So what happens though is, is that they, if they get to the end of the book, then that means they must have liked it to a certain degree, right? But mm. who wants to put their book down and then go find, a, you know, find it on Amazon and then leave a review? So what I like to do is at the end of the book, I like to remind them that I'm human, that I'm a, that I'm a person, that I actually care about their thoughts. So I will then, you know, 
if, if the book was very informational, I'll switch tone and I'll just say, you know, hey, you know, thank you so much for buying this book. It really means a lot to me to have uh, had you, you know, go through this journey together as we discuss blah, blah, blah. Um, as an author, it means a lot if you would go ahead and just leave a review, um, you know, uh, even if it's critical, you know, help me so I can improve my, you know, writing style. And again, thank you so much. What that does right there is even if the person's mad, they're reminded that I'm a human and that they might soften a negative, a very negative review because they know now they're actually going to hurt someone's feelings. <laughs> that sounds terrible to say, but let's face it. Well, it's, it's easy to hide when you're, you know, behind a computer screen. That's for sure. Exactly. But after, you know, thanking them and, and telling them how much it means to you if they were to leave a review, it, it's kind of leaves a little bit of guilt if they don't. They, they're kind of letting you down. Um, so that just one little behavior right at the end to humanize yourself um, at, you know, Make sure you do it, you humanize yourself professionally. I've seen some people that are just ridiculous. <laughs> but um, just to put that little part in there, um, I've seen major increases in not only the number of reviews, but the quality of the reviews as well. So uh, if, I, if I heard you right, I think maybe the key to getting reviews is to ask for them. Well, yeah, absolutely. A call to action at the end is, is like super important. I mean, but more importantly, just to remember to put in kind of a, a emotional connection words um, to soften any blow that might come. <laughs> All right, as we move on through your book, we've got number two, which is looking at number of sales. So obviously, I think that's probably what most people associate with ranking in Amazon is the number of sales. Uh, and I, you know, I'm, I'm sure it does contribute, you know, percentage wise quite heavily to how your book does. But there's something that I notice occasionally when, uh, you know, either friends or fellow authors will send out an email or something and let us know that they're doing some kind of free promotion. And I see this term Kindle select promotion or something like that. What, what does that mean? And when should authors like use it? Is it, do you just do it whenever or do you use it more strategically? So the Kindle select program is where basically you say, okay, Amazon, I'm only going to sell my book on you and nowhere else. And in return, you're going to allow me, I think it's every 90 days to have seven days where I can make it totally for free. So what happens is, is that when your Kindle select period comes up, and you can tell it when you want it, um, and you can break it up as well. You don't have to do all seven days at once. When it's free, you then send it out to like all these book promotion sites, these, these places where they'll email blast your book out there. Hey, free book, check it out, download it. Now, during the free period, okay, uh, your book is not in the same rankings as as paid books. It gets put into the free book category at that point, okay? Why? Because Amazon wants to make money. And if your book is now free, they ain't making any money, all right? So it won't show up, um, you know, under the same search as well. But what this does, though, is that people will quickly download it, of course. There's a good chance that they're going to leave reviews. I mean, you know, if, if it's free, you might get 9,000 downloads right there uh, if you do a good promotion push during the free period. And in that 9,000, you really hope you're going to get at least five times something like that for reviews. So that helps. But what happens, though, is that when your review period ends, there's this trail off, okay, where Amazon's algorithm sees that there was um, a lot of attention, that there was a lot of interaction um, and downloads of your book. And that trail off leads into where after you're done with your promotion, 
your book will jump up in ranking, you know, and it will sit up there at the top for a little bit. But again, it all comes down to that search to click ratio uh, to buy ratio. And if you're at the top and people are skipping your book and going for another one, you know, below it, then you're going to soon drop down in those rankings. Okay. Let's go ahead and expand on that as we move into chapter three, this click through rate. You, you mentioned it earlier, this search to click to buy ratio. When, can we dive just a tad bit more into that formula? What, when you say that, when you say the search to click to buy, what, what does that mean? What is the ratio? What's the calculation that that's actually being made? When somebody types something into the search box, right, a particular keyword, now we're, we're looking at your ratio of clicks to buy for that particular keyword. So say it's cat, okay, and just make it easier. Um, it's cat. Somebody types in cat. Now, if you have a higher percentage of people clicking on your book and then buying it, then the algorithm is going to say, hey, look at this. We're, we'll make more money if we raise this book higher so that more people will click it, right? It's got a better conversion rate. And so ultimately, that's when you see books kind of jump up and down and so forth, is the algorithm, algorithm is just trying to optimize for more sales. Many, many things can impact someone's willingness to click on your book. So I'm wondering, first and foremost, do people really judge a book by its cover? Oh, 100%. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a huge difference between like somebody just throwing together a book cover and something being done professionally. And uh, that is the first indication that people will look at when they go to Amazon and they look at the the list of results, the books that are out there, they're kind of looking at the cover first. The second thing they'll look at is whether or not, you know, whether or not the title is catchy, um, the subtitle is right. You know, and that could be like, for example, fiction, you know, you've got to be very creative in that title. With nonfiction, making sure that your title, you know, evidently answers their pain point, then boom, you know, you've got a connection. So again, it, it really depends on the genre you're in and the style. But those are the things that that buyers look for when they're trying to select that next book. So uh, you mentioned a few things there. And in chapter four, you specifically talk about where to place keywords and the weight that they're assigned. I, I would assume you would want to use your keywords in the title of your book, correct? Title and or subtitle, I'd recommend or. See, the thing is, I believe that a title should be whatever you think would convert somebody's curiosity or to bring them over to the book. And then the subtitle, I like to use that as the defining moment, right? So in the subtitle, I'll say what the book is about and the benefits you get by reading the book. If we're talking nonfiction, the title should be something that catches me and, you know, immediately. Okay. So if you use, if you choose to use your keywords in the title, then you should make the subtitle less keyword heavy, I assume then? Either that or a different way of saying it. Like, for example, you know, if I wrote a book like How to Write a Resume, then maybe in the subtitle I should say, you know, uh, tips and tricks to creating the CV that get, lands you the job. See, I use CV instead of resume because I know that people are typing that in. Okay. And as an author who has the author page, you can also use keywords in the description of your book as well, right? Absolutely. Yep. And do does Amazon rank the description? I mean, is, is it, does it go title, subtitle, description from a keyword standpoint as far as how they rank it or does it matter to them? I think one of the biggest weighting factors for the initial verification of where you should be should is the title, subtitle. 
and the Kindle keywords, the seven keywords that you choose. Then after that, the rest of the stuff is kind of like icing on the cake, helps to verify, you know, density, uh, word density on there. The description is can, is important. And let me put out there too, if there's any advanced uh, Kindle people out there, one of the biggest mistakes that a lot of people make is they think that the description is not indexed by Amazon, that Amazon's algorithm doesn't check it. And a lot, one of the examples that they'll give is that if you go to a book description and you copy a sentence from that description and you put it in Amazon and click search, it won't find anything. It'll come back blank and be like, uh, what do you want us to search for? And they'll say, see, it doesn't check the description. But let me tell you, that's not how the Amazon algorithm works. What it does is that it goes through and it looks for words. When we shop on Amazon, okay, we don't type in sentences. If I'm looking for you know, a, a, a shirt, right, I don't type in, I'm looking for a black shirt with a white collar and that has green and, and purple on the cuffs, something like that, right? We don't do that. We type in black polo, white collar, no cuffs, and that's it. Well, the algorithm works in that way. So, and to prove this is that if you did that sentence copy thing, if you look at the top, it'll actually strike out all of the extra words and it will try to say, did you mean black collar, polo? You know, like it will try to get you to choose individual words and not a sentence. So, you know, you have to remember that this isn't like Google where people will type in full sentence searches. This is a product shopping marketplace. People type in particular blurbs of words and not full-blown sentences. The last chapter in your book is, raises a question for me, which is, you know, keyword, quote unquote, stuffing. Oh, yeah. Does that play a role in ranking as well? Back in the day, Google used to be like the wild, wild west, where the way that you'd rank is you would type in the word as much as possible, right? And Google's like, oh, well, this must be the better page for cats because it says cats 1.2 million times compared to this other one that says 1.1 million. And Google got very smart. I mean, we're talking like 1996 here um, and got really smart and found other ways to, to remove that. Right now, there's such a thing as over-optimizing a word on your Google page, right, on your website. Amazon's not exactly there yet. I don't, I don't want to say, I don't want people listening to this to go back and be like, oh, sweet, so if I type cat like <laughs> 20 times in the title, uh, I'll rank number one for cat. Look, 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 that's, that's not what I'm trying to say. But right now, though, Amazon's algorithm isn't on this hardcore hunt to try to, you know, weed out the bad guys out there. The good news about the algorithm is it doesn't have to do that. It doesn't have to change because even though your book may say cat, 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 cat as the title, um, that might get it ranking at the top initially or pretty close to the top. But if people are typing in cat and not clicking on your book and not buying it, you're going to drop off the first page regardless of how many times you type in cat. So it's a self-correctional algorithm. It's a self-correctional search. If your book doesn't convert and you don't make Amazon more money, then you don't show up. While, while we're talking about the algorithm, uh, something just occurred to me as you were talking and we were, I was, you know, we were thinking back to what you said about the number of book sales and how it impacts the, the algorithm and, the, and ultimately the ranking of the book in, in Amazon. How, how does this new Kindle Unlimited feature impact from an author's standpoint the ranking of their book. Does that get, do those, those, uh, I guess you call them downloads through Kindle Unlimited, do those get counted as a quote unquote sale? 
They do. They actually do affect the Amazon bestseller rank, the ABSR. Um, so the more downloads and the more pages read, that's the key part, the pages, um, the Kent program, uh, that will show Amazon how much your book is actually cared about. What I mean by the pages, let me step back on that, okay, is that back in the day, uh, they used to have it that if your book was downloaded, even if nobody read your book, you would still get a portion of the pay for the KU program, okay? Amazon got smart. It was like, wait a second, that's ridiculous. Like, you know, if nobody's reading this book, why are we even, you know, paying a portion of the KU program to this author? So they got rid of that and they said, all right, well, now it's all about how many pages people actually read. So if your book is a part of the KU program, what it is is that you say, all right, my book is in the KU program. And if somebody pays into KU, which I think is like $15 a month, I can't remember off the top of my head, um, you now have the right to be able to download any book that is KU for free. Okay. And then at the end of the month, Amazon collects all the money they got for the KU program and they take a portion of that and they split it out to all the authors out there that are a part of the KU program. But the percentage of what they give you is dependent on the number of pages read. So I just want to explain that before we go forward. But those numbers, the number of pages read is what actually affects your ABSR, your Amazon bestseller rank. So actual sales and pages read in KU affect your sales. Very interesting. I wondered how that worked because I'm, I, I do pay the money and get the Kindle unlimited, uh, mostly because honestly, because of the podcast, I, I interview a lot of authors and so I need to get their books. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, and that's just it. Like they don't get paid for that KU unless you actually flip through and read the book, <laughs> which is, which is understandable. Yeah. 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 Actually, it makes sense now that you've explained it that way. I mean, I, I do actually read almost all the books that I pull down through there and there's some that I pull down and I just sit on them forever. If I have a book that just sits there for months, does it does the original download count as a as a quote unquote sale? But then it just sits there until you know n- nothing happens until I read it, right? No, for the KU, nothing happens until you actually start flipping through the pages. Okay, all right, Dave. I think I want to wrap up our discussion, kind of circling all the way back to where we started, which is validating book ideas. And I understand that you have actually built a book idea validating software. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, my uh, my engineering team we got together and we created a software that works on both PC and Mac. And what this does is you can go in there and you can type in your particular idea. Um, it could be very long tail. It could be very broad. And what KDP Rocket will do is it goes through and it gives you a whole bunch of book idea suggestions. And for every one of those suggestions, it will tell you the average amount of money made for products that rank for it, the number of competitors, um, Google searches per month for that particular term. And my favorite are brand new estimated Amazon searches per month. Uh, so you can actually tell how many people per month are, are on average searching for this on Amazon. So that validates your idea right there. And then finally, my favorite too is our our 1 to 99 competitor score, okay? So for every idea you have out there, we've got a calculation that will go through and verify and give it a score between 1 and 99 of how hard it would be to rank number one. Because like we said, right, you want to make sure that there's a market out there looking for that book idea And then the most important thing is to make sure that you can rank for it, okay? And our calculation really brings in a lot of what we just talked about, and it puts it in our nice, easy number. So now you can say, hey, this idea looks great, but 
it'll be a lot easier to rank for this one down here. And that's basically what KDP Rocket does for you. Right. So where where can people find it? You can find it at kdprocket.com. Well, that's awesome, Dave. And I appreciate you sharing all of your amazing content today on Kindle. I learned quite a bit of stuff myself. For those who would like to learn more, obviously we know we can go to kindlepreneur.com, but how else can people reach you? Well, actually, I think the best way, uh, if you have any questions about self-publishing or whatever, anything you heard, just go to the Kindlepreneur uh, contact page, send me an email. One of the things that I do is I still, to this day, I respond to every one of those emails and I'll be more than happy to address any concerns or questions that anyone out, anyone out there has. Fantastic. Do you have any final thoughts, words of wisdom, tips, anything like that you'd like to pass along to any authors or aspiring authors that are listening today? Even though writing a book sounds like a daunting task, you know, it really isn't. But the most important part is just to write. Get yourself under the habit of just writing and you'd be amazed at what you can create in a little time. Awesome, Dave. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much for sharing some of uh, some of it with us today. No problem, Ryan. And thank you for having me. Okay, I need to let you in on a little secret. Dave and I actually recorded this show nearly seven months ago. And while not my intention at the time, the timing of the recording corresponded with my move to a new state and my decision to end season one. Now, as you know from the season one ending show, my intent was to hold on to the show for just a couple of months and then release it with the beginning of season two, which I got partially right. It is, of course, the beginning of season two now, but I held it way longer than just a couple of months. So Dave, I apologize for the delay. As I reflect back on today's show, what I really loved, in addition to all of the great knowledge about book publishing, marketing, and Amazon's algorithm, is how Dave got to this place to begin with. He actually took the time to assess where his career was headed, something that very few of us do, and then he decided that his path didn't align with his values and what he envisioned for himself long term. For many people, that's a scary place to be, and unfortunately, also for those same people, once they get to this place, they find it hard to turn around or to pivot. They need an inciting incident to make them change directions. Now, Dave could have done the same thing. He could have stayed on his same path, but instead, he decided to choose a different path. He learned, he grew, and he iterated along the way. At each step in his progress, he applied his skills, his traits, and his values, and used them kind of as a goalpost, if you will, for his decision-making. I also love that he mentioned that he failed to brand himself, Dave Chesson. You see, it's one thing to be known as the Kindlepreneur. It's quite another to be known as Dave Chesson, the Kindlepreneur. It's a subtle but very important distinction. Thank you, Dave, for sharing your story with us today and your Kindle wisdom. I hope it inspires someone who's listening right now to put down the Netflix remote, if you will, and go write the book that they've been dreaming about writing for years. And thank you, loyal listener, for tuning in today. You can find the show notes and links to everything that Dave and I discussed over on the blog at ryanroten.com forward slash Dave Chesson. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that my new book, Career Cred, is actually out on Amazon this week. And in fact, it's out on all of your favorite virtual bookshelves. I'd love it if you would not only pick up a copy for yourself, but maybe decide to gift one to someone you know who may need to read it as well. Oh, and if you could, please leave a rating and review as well. That would be awesome. Now, one more thing before we wrap up. Remember that vlog thing that I mentioned last week? Well, it's actually a thing now. So if you want to check it out, head on over to CareerCred. That's cred with a K. CareerCred.tv. 
take a look and subscribe. So that does wrap us up for today. Next week, you're going to learn how to do some same side selling. Does that sound exciting? Trust me, it will be. And you'll find out exactly what I mean next Thursday, right here on the brand new you show. So until then, I've been Ryan and I'm out. Today's show was edited and produced by Ryan Roten. And the intro and outro music, as always, is Pulse by Soundroad.